Hello and a warm welcome to this week's edition of Econoday Unplugged. It's Tuesday, the 10th of November 2020. Mark Penders, stateside, and I'm Jeremy Hawkins here in London. Well, as early as Monday morning, it seemed that all the talk this week would be about the US election results, which at the time of recording this podcast, President Donald Trump still refuses to accept. However, the announcement yesterday by Pfizer and BioNTech of a COVID-19 vaccine with a 90% hit rate has provided investors with a major new focal point and could put a whole new spin on market pricing. Initial reaction to the news showed just how important the coronavirus still is to financial markets. So equities, bond yields and non-safe haven commodity prices all rose sharply, while the dollar and other safe haven currencies lost ground. Of course, it's still early days and the risk on the vaccine is that too much is taken for granted too soon. So while clearly a potentially huge breakthrough for world health and the global economy, we could be in for a choppy ride as the practicalities of actually manufacturing and delivering the drug become more apparent. Nonetheless, looking into next year and beyond, if this vaccine really is the answer, it must raise the question as to whether a global economy can handle the massive monetary and fiscal stimulus already delivered, plus what's still in the pipeline, without forcing inflation to rise to unacceptably high levels. Time will tell. And talking of time, to we uh, non-US dwellers, it looks as if a US presidential election is finally over. Or is it? So, Mark, what's the state of play real of politics? And is there anything we can say at this stage about the implications for U.S. policy and the economy? Uh, anything for certain, yes. We will know that to answer the question of uh, is there too much stimulus, let's just say, in the U.S. economy, we will know with Federal Reserve jawboning when uh, they will start hinting at we are now thinking about the possibility in the distant future of withdrawing stimulus, something like that. That will be the key, and it will probably come out of some, you know, aside or some comment uh, in the hallway or something like that. That, And it may not be for a while, because right now they're on the record saying they're not even thinking about thinking about uh, withdrawing stimulus. And um, in uh, the last Fed press conference for the FOMC uh, uh, last week, uh, uh uh, Jerome Powell uh, said that we're not thinking about uh, uh, withdrawing QE uh, asset purchases. If they do anything for further stimulus, it was going to be on the uh, asset purchase side, somehow uh, fidgeting with the composition or the uh, or, or the maturities of uh, the uh, securities they were buying. But that was before the vaccine announcement. So I think that really the bottom for uh, investors. Uh, now, as far as the uh, the election goes, the outcome, it it seems uh, w- would be vastly remote that uh, Biden is not going to become president. As far as uh, uh, the mix in the Senate, there's this assumption uh, all along that uh, the Republicans are, gonna, are going to uh, maintain control. I'm not so sure. They're still counting. It's still up in the air. And and then and then the markets uh, continued that justification, saying, well, even if it's a 50-50 split, um, it wouldn't be so great for the uh, for the Democrats anyway. Well, maybe maybe not. But in the blue tide um, uh, theory going into the election, no one thought that the Democrats were going to get 60 seats. That's how, how much you need to. Uh, completely block the uh, opposing party. So, I mean, 
lot of maneuvering, a lot of uh, skating around, and a lot of trying to uh, throw in the ideas of uh, tax policy, regulation policy into this mix, but it's all way too, way too early, way too uh, subjective, I think, or, or uh, you're just uh, you know pulling at things. And uh, so I think right now we have to sit, we have to sit tight, see what happens. And now that this vaccine has come in, that's a whole nother question. It's like exactly what you say. It's like all of a sudden now this stimulus, it looks maybe, do we really need it all, even though there's going to be a, a long period of time before uh, uh, vaccinations um, are available to everyone, uh, and uh, and and we'll see with how the healthcare goes. Um, so it's still you know way too early, and uh, unfortunately this election is still going to be um, a factor. Although at least we're having some kind of hopefully a window where we you know inauguration is a day is in uh, January 20th I believe. So hopefully by then we'll we'll have some kind of uh, closure. All right, let's put the politics on one side for the moment. Um, even before we got into the election, at least results of it anyway, US employment data, what did that suggest um, prior to this possible new vaccine they found? Um, was the economy actually doing quite nicely anyway? Was it slowing down? Where do we stand? It was, uh, I'm not sure it was doing quite nicely. I think that that is the, how the Federal Reserve would uh, portray it. Uh, there was definitely a slowing. The manufacturing sector, the um, sentiment in the manufacturing sector is very strong right now. And you see that all in the uh, in the anecdotal surveys. And you also see it in business investment, which um, is, is surprisingly strong. And, and in contrast to really... Um, uh, I guess not in total consumer side housing. And, you know, we're, let's talk about inflation. Um, where is inflation? It's not in consumer prices. But you know what? Hey, there's inflation in new home sales, in, in home prices. There's plenty of inflation. There's plenty of inflation in the NASDAQ. There, and these are, you know, due to uh, uh, Federal Reserve um, policies, low interest rates, uh, pumping liquidity. Uh, buying bonds, these kinds of things, and they're creating a sort of inflation that is uh, narrow to uh, those people who, who have enough money to invest or have enough money to buy a home. So maybe that these will begin to take off too, and, and these will be will be entering into this discussion of then pulling back um, this massive amount of stimulus. So, you know, we're talking about the Democrats, and they're going to win, and that means more stimulus. Uh, maybe not. So that's why I say we have to wait. Okay, fair enough then. Um, what about a bit of Europe? Well, I suppose over here the vaccine not come fast enough, and although a lot of people were glued to their their TV sets looking at these U.S. election results, it's still very much COVID-19, which is pretty well dominating a lot of the headlines across Europe. Um, as we talked about previously, we've got lockdowns in place across a lot of the region now, and the numbers really aren't looking too good. Um, Germany has just reported it has more severe patients than at any point since the outbreak began. Other hospitals in uh, a number of European countries are also warning that their ICU beds are fast approaching full, full capacity. So I think uh, generally speaking, it's safe to assume that uh, economic forecasts for the fourth quarter for, I say, the Eurozone, but really for, for the European continent as a whole, are being steadily downgraded. And uh, it's going to be difficult, I think, for a number of countries to actually achieve any kind of positive growth whatsoever. 
Um, looking further out, I suppose one good bit of news, at least potential good bit of news, there has been some indications that uh, e-negotiators and lawmakers are, are actually getting close now to reaching a deal on the bloc's long-term spending plans. And of course, this will include, include the recovery and resilience facility stimulus package, which you know, there's been a lot of disappointment about with uh, recent developments in Europe about just how long this thing's taking. I think the current talk coming out of Brussels is that they may have something signed off on by the end of this week. Again, are, are you are yeah. you talking about the what was happening a few months back with um, the yeah. EU leader summit and th that was stalled and now it's it's moving it looks, forward a little bit? Yeah, I mean, it's like a lot of things. It's like with bricks and everything else. I mean, you don't count your proverbial chickens until they hatch. But it does look as if last week there was some progress made on the uh, on just how the, 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 the legal aspects of uh, how the uh, funding will be uh, dispersed. Um, and if that is the case, then it would seem that we should be able to get some kind of agreement being announced relatively soon. Now, this, as we've talked about in the past, is a significant package for Europe. Um, and the COVID package, itself, the um, rescue package itself, has been seen as a, a key stimulus part of the programme for 2021. I mean, it should be said, it doesn't really kick in properly until the second half of the year. What's it, it, it has a, a number figure too, right? Was it 750 billion? Yeah, years? I mean, there's a number of different <laughs> different figures involved in this. On the <laughs> overall euro budget itself is some 1.8 trillion but yes 750 billion is the resilience facility stimulus package itself okay okay, okay. This has been on um so, so if that does come out and again that's that would be good news i mean to be honest the likes of germany have spent more than that already um but nonetheless it's going to be good news in terms of you know, additional fiscal stimulus for the european economy as a whole um and i think it's going to be particularly important really for the ecb i mean if they actually come out and definitely say that this thing will be happening now at the beginning of next year. It will take a little bit of the pressure off the European Central Bank to come out and ease policy again when we get to their final meeting of the year on December the 10th. Now, I think they've already kind of strongly intimated from the um, previous meeting that they'll be doing something in December, but just how far they have to sort of push the envelope may, may well be in part determined by what comes out of this uh, meeting. Um, well, the, now, what, what are they going to do? I was talking about the Fed last week. They, they, they narrow, I mean, they're not going to go negative rates. They've, um, as far as they're, you know, stimulating uh, loan demand, I, they've, stabilize the loan there's not a lot of demand for loans so there's no, really nowhere to go there so they're really qe is the only thing that they're kind of going to do i mean how is the the european central banks i think what, what are they going to turn to i think as, as you say i mean by and large it's quite a stage now i think where you know almost where if you look interest rates are so low taking a few more basis points off them particularly if they're already below zero does it actually matter that much and I think there's been um, a general uh, sort of understanding now that the, the so-called lower bound for European interest rates, at least as far as the ECB is concerned anyway, is this minus 0.5%. And that's where the deposit rate stands at the moment. However, there have been some comments coming out of the ECB over the last what couple of weeks or so intimating that they are looking at the possibility of further interest rate reductions. So it could mean that we see interest rates still go, go, still go down yet further. 
I'm not convinced that we will do, but I suppose you can look across at their neighbours in Switzerland. Uh, we have their key deposit rate there standing at minus 0.75. So perhaps if Switzerland can do it, the ECB might decide it can do it itself. But as you were saying from the, the Fed side, I think much more likely if they are going to take additional action will be through quantitative easing and probably their emergency pandemic uh, programme, which they could increase or at least try to increase. Um, it's as we saw when they managed to get the last hike through, there was certainly some resistance from the more hawkish ECB council members. And the danger is, I think, that uh, the same hawks will be cautious about any additional um, increase, particularly if it looks like this vaccine is going to work and we get mm -hmm. confirmation that the fiscal package is going to come through. But well, no, the, what you said, the, I think, is, is exactly right. They're running out of options. There's only so the, much more they can do. OK, so the ECB's main policy rate is the refi rate. Well, it's 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 the refi rate has been sold for a long time as their benchmark rate. That's right. And, and that's, that's at zero. That's at zero. However, because there's been so much liquidity pumped into the system now, it's really meant that, you know, the, the, the lower limit, the lower, the lower um, limit to interest rates for deposit rate has become essentially the benchmark rate is taken over from the refi rate in terms of signaling policy. And that's one which currently stands at minus 0.5%. I think as and when we finally get away from the current environment, we get back to more trading uh, more normal trading uh, standards and practices, then you'll see the refi rate will start, you know, will reassume its kind of you know, benchmark status. But at the moment, really, all, all the focus is on what's happening to the deposit rate. Interesting. Um, what else we got from my side in terms of uh, policy? Bank of England. Bank yeah, of England. I was going to say, she very much meant about the Bank of England because they did do something um, last week. Um, and it's a little bit more generous than markets expected as well. And again, I think that just goes back to the fact that there are very, very real concerns about just how bad an impact this coronavirus is going to have. So it didn't change interest rates. If folks remember, there was some speculation that they might decide to go negative or zero on their bank rate. That currently stands at 0.1%, but they opted to leave that alone, although it did say that the consultation with financial market operators regarding possibly cutting rates further is still being undertaken. So we can't completely rule out the idea that we will go negative. But on the quantitative easing side, they increased quantitative easing by £150 billion sterling to £895 billion. Now, that was about a £50 billion um, or so increase more than expected. So that can certainly be seen as being indicative that the bank is concerned about the outlook. Um, this new program is uh, scheduled to run or start at the beginning of next year, once effectively the, the current quantitative easing ceiling is reached. Um, it'll begin in January next year and run through on paper anyway, through right through to December. So it implies that net purchases are going to be rather less than the four and a half billion pounds, which we've seen over the course of the last uh, few months. Um, but it does mean that we're going to get you know, additional quantitative easing steadily going into the markets right through 2021, albeit potentially on a flexible basis. So as far as the bank's concerned anyway, it looks like policy will continue to be eased um, throughout next year. That said, um, as you mentioned, you know, this, this, this COVID vaccine, what's it going to do? Well, the only comment we've had coming out of the bank so far was from their chief economist, Andy Haldane, who yesterday simply came out and said that um, this could this is a, a real game changer. 
um, can make the difference between companies surviving or going bust. So if that's reflective of the view at the bank as a whole, I suppose you've got to start thinking, well, perhaps they may have this quantitative easing program timetabled for next year, but it may perhaps be shortened, chopped or whatever, if it looks as if this vaccine is going to be delivered on time and actually does what it's supposed to do. So I think, you know, it's going to be, I suppose, the bottom line, you put all this together at the moment. There's just so many uncertainties now about what's impacting not just the UK economy, but the whole world economy in itself. Is that almost the idea of trying to make forecasts about how things are going to go is now impossible. And I suppose I shouldn't mention, of course, for the UK, we can't leave the UK without talking about Brexit. Uh, those um, post-Brexit trade talks, well, they resumed this week. Um, as of the back end of last week, when hopes were quite high that we would be would be receiving some good news soon. Well, it looks as if they still got stumbling points and some various fairly serious sticking points. So you keep an eye on that one. I think you have a general assumption is still that this November the 15th is kind of a deadline if they're going to get an agreement on a deal that can be ratified by all the parliaments involved. And that's one of the issues, of course. Everyone's got to ratify it within the EU side as well as the UK. And it's going to be ratified by the end of this year before we start next year. Um, And it's quite interesting on that front, actually. I mean, you always read too much into these things. But the EU Commission, um, they came out with a new set of forecasts um, last week. And interestingly, they revised down their forecast for eurozone growth um, in 2021. That now stands at expected 4.2 percent, down from 6.1 percent uh, they put out in July. But in the small print, they said it assumes there will be no trade deal with the UK and uh, trading between the UK and the EU will revert to World Trade Organization terms as of the 1st of January. So I guess to actually include that in your central case forecast, must you know just highlight the fact that both sides are taking the possibility very seriously. But, but, we'll you're saying, deal. but you were saying that it that their forecasts uh, they, they they upgraded their forecasts. Did I get that right? No, they've downgraded them. They downgrade. And do you think that was because of Brexit? Or, well, or no deal may, Brexit? It may be partly to do with Brexit. I think to be perfectly honest, it's got an awful lot more to do with the second wave of COVID. But it's just quite interesting that looking at you know some of the smaller texts when you have the underlying assumptions, it shows that you know they decided well at this stage perhaps it seems more likely that it's you know it's it's more likely there won't be a deal than they will do, and indeed I think it was when just going back to the Bank of England because they um, announced or released their latest monetary policy report alongside the uh, policy announcement itself last Thursday, they came out and said that you know, even with a trade deal. Because this thing's taken so long now, the simple lack of preparedness for Brexit on the part of UK firms means that it would cut 1% from GDP in the first quarter anyway. So it really is the case that this thing has been dragging on for so long now. Businesses haven't known whether, look, do we assume there's going to be a trade deal? Don't we assume anything? Of course, they've tried to defer it as long as they possibly can because they're desperately hoping for a trade deal. But it seems now, if you believe some of the surveys that the bank's been undertaking, there's this general consensus. Well, look, if we do get a trade deal, great, but kind of it almost doesn't matter because we're going to have problems anyway because this thing has been rambling on for so long. So, all in all, not not great times as far as um, you know the European economy is concerned at the moment. 
Um, what else should I mention? I suppose while we're on central banks, just to look ahead later on today, we'll get the Reserve Bank of New Zealand. They'll be coming out their policy statement, which is expected to see no change. So their official cash rate being held at 0.25% and no change in their quantitative easing as well. Although, of course, as almost with any policy at the moment, I suppose, certainly with the possibility, they could do perhaps a little bit more on their quantitative easing side um, just to be to be just to be on the safe side of things going forward since there is so much uncertainty around the world at the moment um okay well i think that's probably it from my side anything else from yours yeah i want to jump into into um in, into an odd uh, uh question now has uh it, it, the rival vaccine that was being um um uh, developed by uh moderna and in oxford is that correct yeah and have they said anything um, uh, to the Pfizer? As, uh, I don't. As on this, well, let's let's you know, like, let's just wind it back a little bit. I mean, looking at vaccines on the positive side, we can say one, we got this Pfizer vaccine, which all being well is going to do the job. But that's only one of eleven vaccines which are currently in the final stages of testing. And I think the Oxford one, as I last recall, I think they were due to be making some kind of statement about their results next week. So it's quite possible. I mean, just because mm-hmm. Pfizer have come out with what appears to be a vaccine that works, mm-hmm. it doesn't mean to say we can't get alternative companies coming out with alternative vaccines. Mm-hmm. And if we can do that, then that's got to be really good news because clearly the more vaccines, the better in this instance if we're going to try mm-hmm. and you know, issue this thing globally. Mm-hmm. And, and have you read about the path of, the, of, the, uh, of yesterday's announcement? Uh, is it a secure path to development and application or is yeah, it? St- well, the application still has to be formally agreed by the regulatory bodies. But I think the underlying assumption, certainly within Europe anyway, is that that's just uh, going to be a sign off. And I think Pfizer was saying mm-hmm. they hope to mm-hmm. have it out of the way by the end of this month. Mm-hmm. And they were hoping that some of the first deliveries would be in December. Well, then it makes you wonder if the market didn't go up enough. <laughs> well, yeah, maybe. I suppose it's, it's still the case that if you can say well, it's, if it's going to cure 90 percent, there's still 10 percent of people that perhaps you know, it won't actually you know, cure. There's all those sorts of things looking at this. And I think there's still you know, the worry that, yes, it's the test results are good and certainly better. I think significantly better than originally expected, but the actual sample size itself is still relatively limited. Mm-hmm. And it may be mm-hmm. if you start wheeling out around the globe and all sudden results aren't as good as uh, as you were hoping for. Mm-hmm. But no, let us all hope because we can mm-hmm. do a bit of good news. But as we're saying, I mean, it really is, though, you think about it, what we've been talking about on the podcast, what the market's been talking about for so long now, you know, basically it's got to a stage, if you knew what next week's COVID numbers are going to look like, you could call what was going to happen to the dollar, what's going to happen to bonds, mm-hmm. et cetera, et cetera. Well, in between, before we roll out this, va- or the, the vaccine is rolled out, the COVID numbers are very high. And yeah. and so there's, you know, uh, that's going to be, I don't know what, what kind of an issue that might be for the markets. It certainly wouldn't be a good issue for healthcare uh, providers. Or, no, uh, I, I think that's right. And I also, the danger is, as ever with markets, they get ahead of themselves. And the thing about this is, this is OK so far, so very good. But it's still going to take really getting into what the certainly the first quarter of next or even spring before you start to see a significant impact of this vaccine on mm-hmm. the, the global COVID numbers. You know, mm-hmm. the fourth quarter in Europe 
so I can say from 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 my side, the fourth quarter of Europe is going to look horrible. Um, you know, we've got these lockdowns everywhere, which we're hoping are going to work. But as you said, going into these lockdowns, the numbers were going up; they're at record highs, and and yeah, at the moment they just about showing signs of peaking but they're peaking at really high numbers so it's really is the case that you know that people are desperate for this vaccine to work because otherwise what do we do do we have a lockdown right through christmas into new year in which case you know the last person to leave the global economy kindly turn the lights out (laughs) so um okay on that happy note then um let's end it for this week um, on behalf of Mark and myself, thanks as always for listening. Don't forget to keep up to date with all the market, moving data and events in Econoday's global economic calendar. Stay safe and we'll see you next time. Bye for now. <laughs>